So for those of you who are newer to Grace or checking it out here, we are in the middle of a sermon series through the book of John, the gospel of John, light in the darkness. And today we are in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and, and uh, we've been seeing how Jesus, God himself, becoming man, stepping into our world, brings freedom, brings liberation, brings truth. And we need truth in this day and time, amen? amen. We need freedom. So we continue on through God, John's gospel as his purpose is to show us Jesus is God. And we are in chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn there. We have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you as, as well. And so today as we get into the message and the passage, there's a question here that's implied that Jesus answered. And that's how do we, how do we have access into God's kingdom? What, what's, what's the ticket, if you will, to get in? For those, when I grew up, growing up in the 80s, uh, there was a movie that came out in the 70s called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Have you, any of you seen that? There was a newer version that came out, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And, and, and uh, in the movie there, the, the, the only way to get access was to have what? A golden ticket. You can't just show up at the doors and just get in. You had to have special access. Only those with the golden ticket could get into that paradise, right? Everything was edible in there. Man, I'm just a gummy bear fiend. And so like he had like tree of gummy bears. And I just like every time we watch that, it's like I'm just like salivating. Give me a 10 pound gummy bear. You know, just let me just nurse on that for a couple weeks. Days, days. Okay, let's be honest. <laughs> but you could only get in if you had the golden ticket. I think what there was like six, right? Six golden tickets, maybe eight. There was a limited amount. As we come to God's kingdom, there's this, there's a similar kind of assumption that that a lot of people have different ideas of who has access and 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 how we get access into God's kingdom into true paradise. And Jesus answers this, and it's not what what the people thought at that time. You see, access to God's kingdom requires that we be changed. We can't come as as we are. We come as we are, but we can't get in as we are. We have to be changed. Have you been changed? Do you know if you're going to see the kingdom of God? Do you know if you are part of the kingdom of God now? Have you been changed? Let's jump right in. John 3, 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God was with him. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And all the mothers cringed. <laughs> Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, scratching his bald head, you can imagine, because really, you know, spiritual people are bald. How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's, let's go to prayer, friends, and ask for the Spirit's work in us. We need you, Holy Spirit, to hear your word, to respond. This isn't, this isn't just a textbook that we would accumulate more knowledge that we're going to forget later on. Jesus, this is, this is your revelation. This is your, your love letter to us. This, this, this requires a response. And, and in fact, you seek to change us, Lord. So we invite you, overcome us, break down our barriers and our walls, move in us this morning to hear and respond. And Spirit, come upon me, your servant, to communicate your truth, your word. May I be your vessel, this broken vessel. And Jesus, change me. I need you. I need you, Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we come to today's passage, we've just previously heard at the end of chapter 2 that Jesus was doing all kinds of miracles and signs in Jerusalem, but he didn't trust the people. They believed but their belief was shallow. You see, they were attracted to all the miracles and the, it's kind of like the entertainment, right? He was entertaining. He showed power. There was wonder and curiosity, but there wasn't belief in him that he was God and that we should surrender, be my king. There wasn't that kind of belief going on. And John moves on coming to this passage now with Nicodemus leading us to be prepared. Like Nicodemus is probably one of these people, right? And so we have from Nicodemus here, Rabbi, right off the bat, he calls him, it acknowledges him as a teacher, and he explains more. Nicodemus, being, being a, a Pharisee, a teacher of God's word himself, he was a man of authority, like a pastor like me, and he acknowledges Jesus as a teacher. We know in verse 2 that you're a teacher from God because nobody can do the signs, that you do. So there's some street cred that Jesus has got there that they recognize that, okay, there's something special about you. But notice he only ascribes to him teacher. He doesn't even give him prophet. He doesn't give him Messiah. And boy, there was a lot of buzz around the Messiah, the King, the Savior to come. 
He doesn't acknowledge him in those ways, but he's, he's curious. He's coming to him. You're a teacher, clearly. What, who, but who really are you? It's kind of the question that's implied. And Jesus answers him. And remember, Jesus, when he talks and when he responds, he responds like at another level. Like he gets like right at heart of what's going on in the situation and what people really, really need to know and hear. And people ask for one thing and Jesus goes sometimes off the board. And we're like, where, where did you come from, Jesus? He doesn't waste any time, gets right at it. Jesus isn't small talking here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Boom. Jesus just drops the mic, drops a truth bomb here on Nicodemus. And you can imagine Nicodemus just trying to catch up with Jesus. Because he just said, hello, you're a good teacher. And Jesus comes at him with the depths of the knowledge of God and philosophy and theology and truth. And he's, Nicodemus is trying to orient himself what do I say? How do I respond? How can a man be born again when he is old? He can't wrap his mind around the depths that Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is getting at the heart of, 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 of the Pharisee here, Nicodemus, the one who's a teacher of the law, the one who would be teaching people how to be part of God's kingdom, how to be God's people. And Jesus blows things up because they assume... The assumption is, well, I'm a Jew. Okay? God chose us through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel. We're, all, we're part of Israel. We're God's people. We were born into it. We're part of the kingdom. Or even more so that, 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 that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a teacher. He's, he's one who's trying to be consistent with his life and his teaching. There's integrity there. Nicodemus was not one of the corrupt. We know that about him. And what Jesus says here is, unless you're born again, you're not a member of the kingdom. He's saying, Nicodemus, you're not part of the kingdom. You can imagine how offensive how, 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 how taken aback Nicodemus is right now. And, but he wants to know more. He's, he's, he's curious. He wants to understand. He acknowledges something here. Like there's, there's something that Jesus is saying that's worth staying engaged here, not just writing him off. But he can't think on this spiritual level. He's only able to respond at this literal level. Am I supposed to crawl inside my mother's womb? Yuck. How does that even happen? It can't happen. What is Jesus talking about here? You must be born again. Well, for those of us who, who, who are careful studiers and maybe we've got a good memory, we might remember back to the beginning of the book of John here, just two chapters earlier, where John records in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John already prepped us like a good teacher. 
Not leaving it just up to us to try to accumulate and understand the teaching, like deductive teaching. He gives us the truth right up front, the summary of Jesus' teachings. And then he gives us the illustrations through the life of Jesus so we'll know and understand. He's already told us we've got to be born again from God to have access to his life, to be restored and renewed. We must be changed, friends. We can't come to God on our own. Now, we like to say, come to God as you are. And what we mean by that is is that you don't have to clean yourself up because you can't clean yourself up. You can't be good enough. Come to God as you are, but you don't get in. You're not part of the family because of that. You're only made part of the family because God makes you a child. He takes you from being an orphan. And adopts you as his sons and daughters. You've got to be changed. No one gets into the kingdom without being changed. Nicodemus had all these reasons to claim access. But I got a golden ticket, Jesus. No, you don't. You've got to be changed. You've got to be changed by me. You can't change yourself enough. That's part of the problem. I like what John Calvin says here. He says, by the phrase born again, it's expressed not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not sinful. For if reformation is necessary in the whole and in each part, corruption must have been spread throughout. You see, unless we paint the picture as dark as it really is, we'll never, ever really respond as we ought. Unless the diagnosis is accurate, we will not look for the right treatment. If we don't understand that we are so broken, left to ourselves, friends. Our, even our attempts to try to come to God on our own are part of the problem. Only God can clean you up, change you, and make you his own. And this isn't something for some future Reality of heaven out there, ethereal. The word here, you cannot see the kingdom, is present tense. It's now. Jesus wants to liberate you now. He wants to make you a son and daughter now. He wants to give you a new identity now. He wants you to know you are loved unconditionally now. He wants you to be full now. You see, Jesus talks about, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Not Not partially. I came that you may have life and have life to the fullest. Not partially. Not 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 then and there, but now. If you are not being changed, friends, there's a question of whether you are part of the kingdom. You see, Jesus wants to fill you. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be mended. He wants you to be free from bondage. He wants you to be satisfied. 
And that can happen in him, and it can happen now. And it starts now. Some of you have begun on this journey. There's some who haven't even started. You, today, the Spirit is working to change you, to become part of the kingdom. But some of you have entered in. You've let the Spirit start this work, but you've kind of become satisfied and content. No, He doesn't want you to have fullness. He doesn't want you to have partialness. He wants you to have fullness. The Spirit is pulling and tugging and pursuing and pushing. He wants, there's more for you. Receive today. We are so easily calloused. How can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? In order to come in to the kingdom, we must be changed. The means for that, the source of that change as we've been saying is God. Jesus more specifically says it's the spirit. We look in verses Beginning at verse 5, I tell you, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. You must be changed. The source of that change isn't you. Isn't you trying harder, doing more, being cleaned up. The source of that change is not you. It's the spirit. Jesus explains here, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What is meant here? These these verses, we're going to get a little technical here just to try to clarify some things because these verses tend to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Jesus isn't talking about different things here. He's talking about the water and the spirit. He's referring to something that, that Nicodemus should have known about. He's referring to one thing. Being born again... It's the same as being born of the water and the spirit. These are the same thing. Being born of water and spirit are, are not to be seen as separate events. Oftentimes we ascribe baptism to this passage as an external kind of, of, of symbol of what Jesus has already done. But Jesus isn't separating th- these things here. He's, and in the context, it's all part of one event. What is he talking about? Well, if Nicodemus should know about this, remember who Nicodemus is? He's a teacher of God's word. So what is God's word at this time? What do they have? The Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament. Well, we should be looking in there. Well, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. I have it on the screen here. Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you hear the water and the spirit there? The work of God. To bring his spirit. That there is a cleansing work that we need done. You see there's sin in our hearts. There's a record that we've accumulated. It's like our national debt. There's trillions of dollars. And we're never going to be able to pay it. Never. It's 
just like our debt before God, but Jesus is going to cleanse us. He will cleanse us of our sin, our record. But there's more than that. There's a problem. There's a deeper problem is because we'll keep spitting out more sin. We will keep producing it. We'll keep worshiping other idols. We need a heart change. And did you hear it there? I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new heart. How? My spirit. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to change you by putting myself in you. You see, friends, the problem is, is our hearts, while they beat blood that keep us so physically alive, our spiritual hearts beat for me, 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 me. That's the bondage that we're in. What he made us for was for God, to love God, to beat for God. We need a new heart. And it's the spirit filling us, reviving us, giving us new life, changing us that we want to be a children of God. We want God to be our father. We want to obey him because we don't. We want our way. We say, I'll obey you, God, as long as it's good for me. God, as long as you're giving me good stuff and life's going my way and and, and no hard stuff, no traumas, no sufferings, none of that stuff. As long as it's good for me, God, we got a contract here and and I'm going to obey. Or as long as it's like stuff I want to obey on, as long as it's stuff like that I like to do, I'll, I'll follow you, God. Who's really God? Who's really in charge? Me. I'm the one setting the rules. I'm trying to play God. We do that naturally all day, every day. We've got to be changed, friends. And the Spirit is the one who does this. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That spirit must do the work. We must be born again. And Jesus goes into an illustration here. The wind blows wherever it wishes. What's he talking about here with the wind? Well, first off, the word for wind and word for the spirit, same word. Interesting that Jesus would jump right to that analogy. Numa. Breath, wind, same word. But Jesus is drawing upon a natural phenomenon that everybody's aware of and that you can see the effects of the wind, right? You can see it blowing in the leaves on the tree or on the windsurfers on the lake right now. You can see the effects of the wind. But we don't know where its source is and where it comes from and, and how it moves. The spirits, The will of the Spirit is independent of us. The will of the Spirit is his own will, its purposes. We don't control it, but we can see it working. There are many lives here. We see the Spirit moving in you, in your life, and how you're responding to suffering that you're in, how you're living and pursuing holiness when everything else in culture says, live for you. It changes in your life. The hope that you have We see that evidence of the spirit. But you didn't choose the spirit. The spirit has been working in you. You've just received it. You've just responded to his leading and his prompting. You've just surrendered. 
The Spirit must do the work. Galatians captures this. The, the, the Gospels and the Word of God call, talks about adoption as this work that God does, the spirit of adoption, because we are orphans in our sin. And, 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 and when you've seen attachment uh, 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 work itself out, you know, we've been through adoption process and, 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 and work. And as a past family therapist, I did a lot of work with attachment issues. And when you see attachment at work in a child that's been broken, there's just this survival mode that we're stuck in. Oh, the only person I can trust is me. Now, I might follow along with the rules in order to get something from someone, but I don't trust them. I'm not surrendered. I'll just work the system to get stuff from it. There's something that's got to change inside that orphan. His legal status might change or her legal status might change. And it may become a son or daughter on paper, but but there's something more. They're not a child until they say, mommy, daddy. Until there's trust, your way is better than my way. It's adoption. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son in our hearts crying, Abba, you hear that heartbeat. Daddy, I trust you. I love you. Even though I can't see, even though I don't understand, I obey. Your way, not my way. Abba, so you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son and a daughter, then an heir to God. Do you hear the kingdom language there? You are an heir. You see, only children... Make it into the kingdom. Only children are heirs. This is a work of the spirit, friends. Is the spirit working in you? Do you know? Do you know that the spirit is working? Has it started? Have you been changed? Are you just working the system? You were just working this Christian thing, this God thing. Or maybe you've been on the fringe and you're just asking questions. You're just showing up. You're just wondering about this God thing in general. Spirit of God is working here today, friends. As we talked about earlier, this presence of God is here working. And he's moving to draw you to himself. Jesus goes on. Nicodemus is still confused. He can't understand this. Because all the categories of his understanding of how he's made right with God and and how he's before God, it doesn't make sense. Jesus is blowing his mind. And he says, how can these things be true? How can it be? And Jesus kind of humbles him. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand? We speak to you of what we know and what we bear witness to, what we've seen. You do not receive our testimony. How can you understand when I talk of earthly things and you don't believe? And he goes into explaining here the source of truth. He is the source of truth. No one knows what's in heaven and the heavenly things except the one who's gone up to heaven, who's one who's been in heaven, the one who's from heaven and come down to earth, the son of man. I'm teaching you. I'm taking you to school. And I'm showing you the way. I'm showing you the way. 
Not just Nicodemus, but he's showing us. He is God. He has. He is the truth. And he drops this reference, verses 14 and 15, which seems random in here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We must be born again. We've got to be changed. The Spirit is the one who does this in us. I mean, Jesus goes on to explain here, there is, there is the means for this. There's the standard, there's the source, but how? What's the means of this? And he makes a reference, Moses. So Moses is this guy in the Old Testament. This, this, this leader in the Old Testament who was a faithful leader of God who led them out, the, the, God's people out of a land called Egypt where they were slaves, led them to freedom, led them to the Lord, to follow God. And there was this incident in the desert, this, what would seem just this isolated incident where there's some snakes. Let's read about it. Numbers chapter 21. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Have you ever become impatient with God that he's not working as fast as he should? Or he's not doing what you thought he should? And he's not acting in the way that he should? Because he should serve you, right? Watch out. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. God is miraculously supplying them with food, and they seem to loathe what God miraculously supplies. It meets their, meets their needs, but they want a little bit more spice in their life, and they're complaining. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent had bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, if you were reading through the Old Testament, like some of us in that cover-to-cover class, and you read through that section, you're like, this is just weird. Seriously. You send the snakes to judge because they were not trusting you. They were complaining. They were dishonoring you. You send snakes to judge them. And then they got to look at a bronze snake on a pole and be, well, like, what in the world is going on here? This just, it just seems weird, God, to us today. But there was more going on then. You see, what Moses and the people didn't realize is that lifting up of that bronze snake, it was actually God foreshadowing his work of saving all people. You see, the, 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 the image of their judgment, the snake was the judgment of their sin. And the image of that judgment was lifted up and they had to look at the image of their judgment, which was just weird and shameful and obscure. And they had to look at it and they would be saved from the consequences of their sin. Well, Jesus says, this is Moses lift up, lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You can go to the next slide. 
This language of being lifted up, friends, is significant language in the book of John where he plays double meaning. And John loves to do this. It's so fun to read. John and his writing is the double meanings that he, that he fixes on, on so many things. You see, to be lifted up is a term to be exalted and be glorified. To be lifted up is to be worshipped. But when Jesus refers to this glorification and being lifted up, he means his crucifixion. The crucifixion was the most humiliating kind of, of, of death and torture that could be done. How does this make any sense? In the crucifixion, what's happening is, the, is that this humiliation of Jesus was to enter our sin. Was to enter in our judgment that we deserve. That he who had no sin became sin for us. You see, on the cross, it's not that, that Jesus lowered himself to the lowest social status. He lowered himself to, be, to absorbing all evil on himself. He became the lowest thing in God's view and the object of, our, of God's judgment. The image of our judgment was lifted up on the cross. That we should look to it and to trust in him. To receive him as the replacement for us to save us from the consequences of our sin that we deserve. Jesus, the means for us to be born again, the means for us that the Spirit uses to change us and transform us is the work of Jesus who lowered himself in order to be lifted up. He showed his glory, his greatness, his power, his love for us was in his humiliation for us. He lowered himself to be lifted up. Friends, if we're going to be lifted up, we've got to lower ourselves. We've got to lower ourselves before Christ that he might lift us up. That the spirit might change us and transform us. We've got to lower ourselves and meet Jesus at the cross. And recognize that I am unworthy and I am broken I can't change myself. I can't make myself right. I can't set myself free from this addiction. You alone, oh God, can change me. You alone, oh God, can make me right and make me a child. Do that work in me. I meet you at the cross. We must lower ourselves, friends, to be lifted up. Now, friends, that's entrance. That's entrance into the kingdom. That's, that's, that's getting across the door. But it doesn't stop there. Friends, you see, that's the way we live. That's kingdom living. Lowering ourselves. Humbling ourselves before God that he will lift us up. In James, it says this. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That is the way we live. That's the way the spirit moves and works. We can't get into the kingdom on our own. We must be changed. We can't change ourselves. God must do that work. 
the Holy Spirit. And he does it through the cross. Through the humiliation of Jesus himself for us. We've got to meet him there. And let the Spirit do his work. Friends, you don't have to go finding the Spirit. He's here. He's pursuing you. It doesn't matter what gutter you've fallen into or where you've run off to. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with, what may hold your life, what other people say about you and your identity is wrapped up in. You see, I love Francis Thompson, 19th century poet, a man plagued with depression. He had mental illness and struggles and darkness that continued to bombard him with lies about himself. He struggled with anxiety and poverty. He was a man who was well off and he knew having everything and he knew having broken and nothing. And he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. Reminding himself and all of us that the Spirit of God doesn't stop running you down. Many of you know we have a corgi. His name's Nacho, and we love Nacho. And Nacho, when we go for walks, we call him Sniffer Sniffs a lot because he loves to get a trail on a bunny or a squirrel. And he knows where they're at, and I can't see them. Well, the other day, we were on a walk, and, and he is going at it. I don't see any, any bunny, but it was behind the tire under a car, and he could tell it was there, and he was bound to get it. And when he, I, you know, I'm going for a walk, and it's like, come on, Nacho, let's go. And he digs his behind heels, in, and he buries his front shoulders. You get to see these corgi muscles rippling. You know, I'm kind of, you know, I like that. I, I like seeing that. I'm a guy. Like, and he is dug in he's gonna have that bunny and sure enough there comes his bunny running out and he goes after it and he will he will go after that bunny even if that collar is choking him he's he's gonna have that bunny jesus the holy spirit is the hound of heaven friends and he will have you he will have you and he's after you He wants you to know his love. You can't get away. He wants you. Stop. Receive him. Receive him. Let him get you. Let him do the work in you, friends. Let him change you and just respond to his love. Respond, friends. We're going to have communion here. As a time of just reflecting and receiving. Jesus lifted up. The spirit works to point our eyes. Look to Jesus. Stop looking at yourself. Look to him. Let him define you. Let him empower you. The spirit points us always to Jesus. Satan points you to yourself. Look at you. How good you are. Look at you. How bad you are. Look at you. You can't do this. Look at you. You can do it all by yourself. That's Satan, you, you, you. The Spirit is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, I can't. I don't have to. He can. In communion, the Spirit is working, is a reminder pointing us to Jesus. 
He's lifted up. Look to him. His body was broken. That bread represents his body broken for you. He took your penalty. That blood represents the cleansing. And it's his body and his blood that changes us. Be changed. And if you've already received Jesus, if you've already let the Spirit start that work, friends, let it encourage you. Let the Spirit fill you today again afresh. And meet you right where you're at. Let the hound of heaven catch you. And if it's not Joe, he's just going to lick your face off. He's going to give you endless kisses. I'm sure Jesus won't, the Spirit won't do that. So it won't be as awkward. But let him love you. It's extravagant. It's unrelenting. Let him meet you now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward here. I'm going to have the ushers come down here to pass these out. And we're going to all, we're going to receive the, these, um, these cups, these, these packaged communion. And, and today, normally we receive these together and we take them together. I'm going to invite you to take this on your own as the spirit leads you. Spend some time in prayer, receiving the spirit's work. He's working now. He's meeting you now where you are. Maybe that's to come to God for the first time. Maybe that's to encourage you and empower you to keep going. Maybe that's to lift your spirits and your eyes to look to Jesus, not yourself. The top part, there's a little thin film here to peel back for the, for the wafer, which represents the body of Jesus. And then the, the thicker tab is for the, the juice, which is the blood of Jesus. When you are ready, when your heart is ready before God, receive his body is broken for you. His blood shed for you. You don't need to be a member here at Grace to participate. You need to be a member of the family of God. And maybe that's that entry point, that first time is now. Come. The Spirit's pulling, inviting, welcoming you now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, work in us. We, we, we surrender. Let your Spirit, I ask, for your help for those who are struggling with pride. For those who are struggling with, 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 with pride, I don't have a problem. No, I can't. I got I to gotta do my work. I got I to gotta do it my way. I got I to gotta figure it out. I gotta... Lord, break them. Relieve them of their selves. Let them just crumble in your arms, Lord Jesus. Lord, meet those who are struggling with this, this, this martyrdom, this false modesty. No, I've got to clean myself up. I'm not good enough, Lord. I'm not good enough. No, you, can't, you aren't. It's true. I am. Receive me. Lord, meet them there. Let their hands let go of their sin, Lord Jesus, and take hold of you. Spirit, meet us. Renew us, refresh us, encourage us, Lord God. And let us go forward, not just in this moment riding a high, but God living in your power. In your name we pray.